it's an Aboriginal country. You've only been here 200 years. Why haven't I got my own section in the library? Hysteria, a podcast about women and non-binary creatives and their experiences creating and consuming arts and culture. I'm Stefan Schill. And I'm Ronnie Sullivan. And for our first episode of 2019, Happy New Year! Yay! We were so, so fortunate to be joined by the Indigenous youth activist, artist and model Aretha Brown. Aretha was the first female Prime Minister of the National Indigenous Youth Parliament and for the past two years she's been one of the key speakers at Melbourne's annual Invasion Day rally. She's also appeared on Q&A's youth special and is a vocal activist for conversations around intersectionality, being a queer Indigenous person and the continuous struggle to decolonise herself. In today's episode, we discuss the importance of education about Indigenous culture, the pressures of Invasion Day as an Aboriginal activist and Aretha's experience as the ultimate slashy. Guys, she's only 18 and she's a model slash artist slash activist slash podcaster slash prime minister. We're intimidated, but we love her. I just love her so much. (laughs) Ronnie just joked with me before, like, what have you done lately? Literally nothing. New Year's, I stayed in, did nothing, watched Terrace House nothing. I mean, we can't all be Prime Minister and frankly, I feel way better about Aretha being in that position than our current leaders. (laughs) Nothing but respect for my Prime Minister. Absolutely. She only recently graduated Year 12 so we started off asking Aretha about what she's been up to since then and what the lead up to the 2019 Invasion Day involves for her. You just finished Year 12 at the end of last year, Aretha. Apart from the schoolies, what what have you kind of been up to in the few months since school finished? Leading up to an Invasion Day, like I just um, I'm just so busy because everyone, you know, there's there's so much happening, you know, in terms of um, it, it's like almost like the lead up to this whole holiday, you know. <laughs> um, it's just there's suddenly kind of discussions around Indigenous politics and affairs is suddenly warranted and people are actually kind of interested. So I really have to utilise this time while people kind of have their ears open. I get like a good two week slot then everyone's like, OK, you had your shot next, <laughs> you know. So, yeah, I'm just doing as much as I can in this two weeks. A lot of people might recognise you from that image from Invasion Day was yeah. it last year? 2017, or? I'm pretty sure. And it was it's like iconic. Yeah. Now. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. It is. It's right? one of those photos that looks like it could be a painting. Oh wow, thank you. Like you you're marching at the front of yeah, the, yeah, yeah, the yeah. rally and you yeah. put your fist in the air. Yeah. And it's a really striking image. Yeah. Did that with that that kind of led to some media attention? Did it that well, image kind of I think they eye? they put it on the, the front of the age or something crazy and I remember all my friends being like, Um, Aretha, read the age. Right? And I was like, <laughs> Oh yeah, uh, no. And it was like the front page. But I'd mob everywhere contact me being like, Aretha, oh my goodness, you know, it was crazy. But that photo, you know, not to like big note myself, but it is pretty cool. I it's like, great. damn, like, wow, <laughs> that's a cool, you know. Let's that's a profile fair. picture if yeah. you had one. <laughs> I was also going to say, out of everyone in this room, you can big note yourself as much as you yeah. want <laughs> Because for an 18-year-old, or just a human in general, mm. you're incredible. You're doing a lot of things. Mm. So... You've already decided you were a model for a little while, a right? Little bit. I'm doing. Modeling. I'm doing some now at the moment. Are you doing yeah. it again? Yeah. How's that going? It's good. You know, I, I've, I wish like, <laughs> I, I wish I could, you know, just kind of make a, a living from doing my activism. You know, but being, being like any kind of artist, you know, you just can't do that. You could have something else. So 
it's, it's good for me, you know, and I like it. And you are an artist, and an female artist, and yeah. an activist, yeah. and you're the first woman queer prime minister of the Indigenous Youth Parliament. Yeah. Is that right? Did yeah. I get that right? <laughs> yeah. That's so much. Yeah. Like that's not just a slashy, like an actor slash model slash artist. That's mm. like you're a future leader. You're mm. doing everything. Mm. Much pressure. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. I I just um. I like working, you know, it's anything that kind of keeps me um, alive and, and it thrives me. There are days where it just takes such a toll on me mentally, you know, mm. it's like, oh man, you know, I, I wish I didn't have to do this. You know, no other kids my age um, that aren't Indigenous have to do this kind of shit. But there's other days when it's like, I do something and I see some mob on the street and I'll get like the nod, it'll be like, and I'll be like, <laughs> okay, totally worth it. Okay, sign me up, four more gigs, let's do it. Like, it just takes like a nod or like a wave and I'll be like, okay, it's all okay, you know, it totally makes up for all the other shit that you get. Like it energizes you. Yeah, as well yeah. As you <laughs> no, I always get like the little like because I see whenever you see mob in the street, I always get like the little. <laughs> and I'm like, oh shit! I wish that <laughs> I, I wish the, the listeners nod. could see that. That yeah. was incredible. Yeah, she just made eye contact with me. I'm yeah. like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so amazing. Um, Can you tell us about the the youth parliament, the Indigenous Youth Parliament, what that was, and how that kind of came about for you, Aretha? So it was a few years ago now, I guess. So I was I, would, I was 16 at the time. So I think as well as being first queer woman, I was also the youngest person to be elected. So I was 16 at the time, and pretty much it was like this week where a bunch of Indigenous and Torres Strait Islander mob flew to Canberra and we had about a week there and we did mock bills and we visited the 10 embassy and we just really talked about politics in a space where it was welcomed, you know, which is like, we never get that. And as well as doing these mock bills, we needed people to kind of play positions um, to kind of get them rolling and stuff. So we had like a shadow minister and minister for transport and all those kind of funky things. But then there also, you know, had to be a prime minister and so we had a little like an election process and, you know, I was like... I got up and made my speech and I guess the kind of crux of my what I was trying to say was just that politics in any sphere, Indigenous or non-Indigenous, it's no longer just men's business anymore, you know, it's women's business as well. And I got elected, which is incredible. I, I wasn't expecting it. Do I you just, aspire to go into politics? So obviously we were just saying you finished school recently mm. and there's a lot of pressure to get good marks and to go on to further education and mm. to like work out what you want to do with the rest of your life which is obviously bollocks because you can do whatever the yeah, fuck yeah. you want a few times over during yeah. life is politics something that you want to pursue now that you finish school I, I feel like I'm already <laughs> in politics honestly you know just being born Aboriginal you're born in a politics but to kind of switch it from being um, quite subservient and being subject of politics to being a leader I think is the transition that I'm wanting to get rather than just being in, in it because I'm in it at the moment it's, it's a little bit horrible sometimes <laughs> but to kind of change and suddenly support it you know. How do you look after yourself because it would get a lot you were saying just before off mic that you're going away mm. back to visit family yeah, yeah. soon is that something that helps recharge you? I think definitely you know so in a, after Invasion Day I'm going up back up to my community for about a week to see my mom and my pop and all my cousins and everything. And I haven't been up there for a few years now, you know? And I know it sounds silly, but, like, my whole body and my whole soul is just, like, it's. T- I need to go back, you know? I just know I have to do it. I'm just to go swimming in my water again and be back on land and to do all that stuff. But I think it's this kind of thing of when I go up there, it is beautiful and it is... I do have this obvious affinity kind of to the land and my family there, but... It was a very confronting in some ways as well. There's a lot of mob there affected by drug and alcohol issues. There's a lot of mob there affected by 
uh, family violence or whatnot, you know, even my family. And so I think it's a mixture of like, oh man, like I want to go back and do so much, but it's also this kind of mixture of like, man, I'm actually really confronted right now. And so this has kind of sparked me back into action and to motivate me again. I wish I could go and then say, I'm so inspired when actually it's me going there and going, fuck, I actually need to <laughs> do some work here, you know? Um, well, to, the, to, to what I can, you know. So when you started your schooling, Aretha, you were at a school in that community with a lot mm-hmm. of Indigenous students, and then yeah. you moved to Melbourne and moved to Melbourne. went to a school that had far fewer Indigenous students. Yeah. Can you talk about like the differences in those two educational experiences yeah, for no. you? Yeah, so I guess uh, I was born in Melbourne, and then when my parents split up, I moved with my mum back up to the community in Ambaka, and I went to the local high school there, and it took me about two hours on the bus to get there every day, and... In terms of like resources or having good teachers that were nice and everything, like there wasn't like a, an abundance of it, you know. But in terms of like actually learning about our own cultural stuff, we got that. It was incredible in that sense, you know. We had one class every single week, which is like the language class. We only got it once a week, but it was the one class where we got 100% Indigenous attendance every single week, you know, because it was my uncle teaching and it was my cousins in the class and we're learning about ourselves, you know. It wasn't pharaohs in Egypt or like Tudor England or something really distant, you know. It was us, and so people wanted to go. And then I moved to Melbourne to go to a good school, whatever that means, you know. <laughs> there were air quotes. <laughs> good school, um, which was really tricky, you know, because we got the good resources and we got teachers that were nice, but I didn't get to learn anything about myself, so I didn't really like school that much. And that kind of became part of your activism, didn't it, about education and Indigenous kids? Yeah, yeah, 100%. Like, being an Indigenous kid, I think... It was just being like, oh man, no one can actually uh, truly empathise with me or give me or my community what it needs to help us because you don't understand why we are like we are, you know? My grandma always told me that um, like the, the most sincere kind of form of charity you can ever give anyone. It's nothing to do with the kind of monetary donations or money or anything. It's like just asking someone why, as why someone is as they are. Because once you understand why someone is like they are, then you can't ever really be angry or upset. You can only kind of understand and empathise. And it might be frustrating, but you can understand. Like there's... I do honestly believe that people are products of their times and places. When I see someone in a classroom that's really bubbly and happy and cheery and joyful and doing really good in school, you can go, oh man, that's so lucky. They've obviously got really great parents and people that can help them help them with their homework and, and do all that kind of stuff. And you can kind of understand why. Um, but at the moment, we just don't get, we don't learn Indigenous history and we don't learn any of our stories. So people don't know what's heard in our community and thus you can't understand what it means to, to like help us in a way that's effective but that also it is really shitty that it does fall on you as an indigenous kid to help indigenous kids do you know what i mean like that's yeah. bullshit you were saying that you walked into the library space today and that you're always watching every time i go to a library now like even like a bookstore like it's a little bit of a power move just cause like <laughs> crazy but i'll be I'll be like oh um excuse me um like where's your aboriginal section and they'll be like oh Hmm. <laughs> and I'll be like, all oh, right. And it's that kind of little bit of uncomfortableness that I kind of impose on people to kind of go, oh, actually, yeah, why haven't we got an Aboriginal section? Because just little things like that, you know, just, you know, why it's, it's an Aboriginal country. You've only been here 200 years. Why haven't I got my own section in the library, you know? What the and how big the Australian history, yeah, so-called Australian history section? Yeah. It's, it's this kind of thing of that white people can only see Aboriginal people as kind of like an ancient entities you know something that was but isn't no longer you know there's this kind of mysticism that carries around with it so it's really hard to see indigenous people in the in a contemporary context it's really hard to try and understand because you you're told the kind of lie that we don't even exist anymore we still believe that there's no more indigenous tasmanians like i have cousins from tassie you know like it's not we're not wiped out we're still here but i don't know there's no books that show it so do you think that's where your kind of like the modeling and activism 
intersect you're being visual and present mm. and like you're in for instance sports girl had a be that girl campaign mm. and that was quite prevalent mm. and around is that something mm. that you think about when you're well like, i've always thought representation is so important you know and in terms of imagery i think that's also important you know indigenous mob haven't got a, a written language everything we know we pass down through story or through art and and those kind of formats so maybe images uh, i hope it helps <laughs> someone out there if it helps one person i think that's great but yeah and you're also an incredible visual artist do you want to talk about I didn't know. <laughs> you are. I love it's, it. Yeah, your art's beautiful, Aretha, yeah. and um, people should check it out on, on your Instagram page. There's a lot of beautiful um, images of the artworks that you have been creating over the last little while and that you're working on in Year 12 for your, for your art subjects. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about your art practice and um, what kind of led you to, to pursue it. So my mum's an artist. Her name's Donna Brown, and she does quite kind of more traditional Indigenous art from, like... Uh, and not do- not dog paintings, no one. <laughs> it's no one I'm playing, you know. Dog paintings are um, specific to like NT mob, it's different to what we do in northern New South Wales. But hers is a little more traditional, she does like cartography, which is like looking at maps and everything. And so I kind of do that in my art a little bit, you know. I only ever draw the western suburbs, that's my only rule in my, in my work, because I never see it anyway. And so it's showing maps and suburbs, and I had this real fascination with kind of looking at suburbs and like train lines, you know, like there were tribes and clans. I just think it's really beautiful to think of it like that. You do big works, right? Like yeah. quite large. Yeah. And you did a huge project for VCE, like for mm. finishing up. So those are those are my first two ever paintings. I never did paintings before that. That blows my mind. They're yeah. incredible. <laughs> oh, oh. And I don't really use color either. I always use always use black and white marker. It's my favorite because I can do it instantly. You know, I'm too impatient to do it otherwise. But I did, yeah, big like big colored artworks, and I put a text all over and everything. But um, so like last year. Some kids basically came into the school um, and, like, did in my artworks, which was really crazy, you know? And I guess in that sense, I don't know, it, it just made it really proud how my school didn't really do much about it. So I know these kids... So it was muck-up the day before the paintings were done, and, and there was a kid that came to school literally just as, you know, Hitler, which is crazy, you know? Mm. And her brothers came in and they, they did a few... Like, they damaged a few things at the school, but particularly in my artwork. And at that point in time, just because my teachers and my school wasn't culturally trained, I had to be the one that had to go write witness statements about what happened on the day. 17-year-old student. Yeah. Before my work. year 12 exams, yep. as you know, the cool. same week. And so I was writing witness reports and I was getting all that shit organised. And I was like, actually, you know, maybe, maybe this isn't my job to do this. You know, why why haven't got teachers that are doing something, you know, that I'm not doing it, you know? And this isn't to say that there weren't students and teachers that did help me through it. You know, there's some people that took it very seriously. But it was just crazy to see that my school didn't actually put, you know, one plus one together and go, actually, this family, uh, this incident, um, bit weird, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know? And I guess it's more like a virtue of racism. Leading up to Invasion Day, you know, that's coming up soon. It's just, there's this this obvious tension in the air when I walk around, you know? Just even walking through the city, you know, that there's two reactions that I kind of get. Literally just walking around, just living, you know? Like, people either be really mean and, you know, I've had things called on me in the street and stuff. And it's always around Australia Day because people get so defensive. Sometimes I wear the flag top or, or something like that. And all the other reaction is, like, people will be overtly nice and kind of give me, like, the... On the train. The awkward like, white person smile. Yeah, and I'll be like... Uh, <laughs> I don't know you. Why are you smiling at me? And, like, it's, it's good-willed, you know, but it's yeah, just like, yeah. leave me alone, man. Yeah. <laughs> I was trying to go. I'm trying to get to Newport. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I don't know. There's just this real tension, but there's there's racism, like anything, kind of comes on a spectrum. And so people... But there was really strong political ideas coming to school doing my work. That was more overt, you know? Mm. And the indigenous mural at my school being done in, that was also overt. But the subtleties of it all creep up on me all the time as well. Um, and even though they're little and they're so unnoticeable, they all kind of... Like accumulate. Accumulate into mm. something really big sometimes. And sometimes I'll just be like, oh man, like this sucks. <laughs> 
And it feels to me, as a non-Indigenous person, like every year the conversation about Invasion Day is getting louder on both sides, you know, that there's Mm. more vocal support from all kinds of Australians that Australia Day should be abolished. But there's also the, you know, right-wing perspective getting more entrenched and more aggressive in, Mm. you know, that we're seeing Scott Morrison making it compulsory for Australian councils to hold citizenship ceremonies on Australia Mm. Day. Do you, like, that's my perspective as a non-Indigenous person, do you feel like it's kind of escalating each year that this is becoming more intense or more more public and more vocal? I just feel as though it's just young people just slowly kind of egging on to it and going, actually, you know, I just... Once the people understand and start asking why, then you can sympathise and that's why these crowds are getting bigger, you know? They're telling their families and they're telling their mums and their nans and everything and people are going, actually, you know, this isn't okay, but... What I think it's important to point out is the fact that with Invasion Day, and particularly from an Indigenous standpoint, it's really tricky because quite often the kind of complexity of the discussion is denied. So it's not as simply as simple as Indigenous people want to abolish the day because it, it doesn't work like that. Any political kind of front or campaign, it comes in different levels. So I tried to explain on my Instagram the other day, but just to like simplify it now, I guess for listeners, it's like there's kind of three main kind of... I guess, levels of the discussion. So number one, which is the quite, the quite like moderate view, would be that we keep the date and we just change its meaning, you know? So we keep the day on the day, on the 26th of Jan, but we have more events around the city and, and whatnot, you know, just about the actual meaning of the day, you know? And for someone like my grandma, who was part of the stolen generation, you know, who didn't learn a language because of policies we had in place, what, less than, you know, 40 years ago. It's really crazy to know that she's actually, she wants to keep the day, even though she's the person who I know has been affected the most by this whole system. The second kind of point is people that want to change the date, right? And I kind of fall in between this kind of um, section, I guess. And so it's like changing the day to a day that's just more kind of more inclusive to everybody, you know? So people will then say, okay, so you want to change the day? Well, what day could we bloody do it? And it's like, well, there's, there's so many days, you know? I'm 364 thinking, other days you could choose um, from. Like, you know, I think that the day that maybe Indigenous mob finally got to finally got to vote, you know, would, would just mark the ultimate kind of adultness of Australia, you know? Or maybe, I don't know, if you want to go with the whole colonial thing, I guess you could do Federation Day, you know, 1901, or you could do the Olympics, whatever, it doesn't matter. You know, just a day that's more inclusive. Or there's quite radical mob who want to completely abolish the day. That's what scares people more than anything, you know? And it's quite interesting to see how media will often cover the day because they'll go, oh, actually, they'll just kind of show the really radical mob. And I'm, this isn't me criticising anyone, you know? That's a cool thing about Aboriginal people. We all think <laughs> different things, you know? My now wants to keep the day, I want to change the day, and I have really close friends of mine who want to just get rid of it completely and that's really okay you know as long as you have an opinion on it I don't care you know I find that white moderate people that are really indifferent are actually the most annoying you know at least people that disagree with me at least they're interested and they there's kind of discussions and they're thinking about it you know <laughs> that's all I want. I did want to hear the end of your story and talk more about your artwork because I think that I know that we went down Invasion Day Road, but I feel like you're talking about that a lot. Mm. And we want to know about you Mm. and about your kind of creative path. Mm. So essentially, you finished year 12, you did this big artwork, those people were fucking assholes. You had to hold them accountable. Mm. You went through this whole thing and you were at the time applying to go to the VCA, is that right? And how did that process go? Well, for like a while, you know, I was so upset because I'm like, oh man, you know, no one's going to want to take my artwork now. There's got big holes in it. But my art teacher, Miss Freya, he's like the best person ever. She gave me like all this gold leaf, you know, what gold leaf is. And I ended up putting it inside all the little crannies of my paintings now. So where there's the big holes in the artwork, uh, there's like gold in it now. 
so it kind of looks a bit cool <laughs> and she was saying as well now that um it's like it's got more meaning now so you did the gold leaf mm. and we love your art teacher <laughs> <laughs> we do and so you apply for the vca with those works in the mm. end mm. were they available for the vca to see because you've also been accepted into top arts at the end yeah, right? yeah, yeah which yeah. is like crazy amazing thing. so amazing yeah. so amazing yeah. um so what happened? Yeah, what yeah. was the outcome of your application to oh, the VCA? Yes! <laughs> so amazing. So you'll be starting your course there this year? Yeah. yeah. And that's a fine arts yeah, degree? Yeah, painting, painting. Yeah, painting, um, amazing. But I'm also, um, I'm going to do it, because uh, I can have electives as well. I'm going to do Indigenous Studies and Spanish, which is kind of funny. Fantastic. <laughs> that's cool. I can't learn my own language, so I'll learn Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 another co- great no, colonial language. <laughs> Are you excited uh, to work in an art space like that? Yeah, or? I'm so excited. You know, if yeah. I could start tomorrow, I would. I wish I didn't have all these stupid holidays. Like, <laughs> I wish I could start tomorrow. I'm here just kind of like. <laughs> so that's full time, and then you're full time. Yeah. yeah. So essentially, you were saying your first two paintings mm. were in year twelve, and now you're going to the VCA <laughs> because of these two. Out. And I'm like, man, I feel like it's just like a bit of luck. <laughs> it's not luck. It's absolutely it's talent. It's that raw talent. Yeah, one hundred percent talent. And I noticed on your Instagram, you recently changed your name mm. to a new artist name. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about that a little bit? Oh yeah, sure. So I changed my name to ABO just because I don't know. I I guess that. It's a word that you got. You guys, you know, you know what it means. But I feel as though it's a word that's been used against me in the past. You know, and to make it something that is my own and also my initials. You know, um, I kind of wanted to just change it up a little bit. You know, um, I also feel like it's a little bit of a power move because people get a bit scared to say that. I, I guess I just wanted to um, empower myself through this word. You know, like reclaiming it. You know, you are so full of power moves. Yeah, I, I know. Love it. I, know. <laughs> I have to do it subtly, but no way. I don't think you do. <laughs> So, Aretha, as you start your art degree, mm. do you have a sense of... I think Steph and I have both spoken before on Sisteria about the struggle is real when it comes to balancing things and you can have all these different priorities and things that you're passionate about and things you want to pursue, but the art is obviously driving you right now. Mm. Do you have a sense of what ways you might be approaching getting that balance right? Do you have tactics that you use to kind of... when you've you've got a lot of different demands in your time and a lot of things that you're passionate about. Mm. How do you kind of figure out what way is going to work for you to get that balance right? <laughs> I don't really know. I haven't got any, like, tactics per se, but I don't know. I just feel as though, you know, when I'm speaking about stuff that's pretty heavy, you know, it takes its toll because it, it isn't a distant issue, you know. It's not the Syrian war or, you know, veganism. It's my family that I'm mm. talking about, you know, so it takes its toll. But I feel like with my artwork, I can just go in and I can just concentrate on this one little thing, you know, I'm just painting a circle, you know. <laughs> it's all I have to worry about for the next, like, you know, 10 minutes and I'm just doing this, you know, and that's all I have to focus on and it becomes this real release for me, you know. So I'm speaking and I'm doing lots of that kind of theory stuff and it's all very academic, you know, whatever that means, but to just go in and just paint and um, it just be very uh, practical and I'm using my hands. Kinesthetic, is that the word? Mm. Doing it like that, you know, it helps me a little bit. <laughs> do you find yourself going into like a different um, kind of mental state when you're creating? Yeah, I don't know. I just feel really. It's like I get very, I get confident. You know, I feel really confident when I do my art more than anything else. Sometimes, you know, like I finish a painting, I'm like, actually, you know, that that's pretty good. You know, I'm actually okay at this. <laughs> and yeah, you know. Do you yeah. think it's because it is like obviously you're saying that you are drawing the western suburbs because you're like you don't see it anywhere and. Mm that you're using your work to be empowered so it does have a political element but like you're saying the tactility and the mm. personal 
nature of it? Do you think mm. that that's what kind of you go so far in yourself that it takes you out of the other things? Do you mm. think that that might be what it is? Like it's almost mm. meditative. Yeah, I totally agree. I'm just trying to draw what I see at the moment. You know, I know that sounds simple and silly, but I can't draw it all. So <laughs> <laughs> I just so I'm not very good at talking about like the art per se. You know, that's why it's art because you you show it. You know, you yeah, tell it. I'm not, trying yeah. to explain it, being like it's <laughs> colorful and. Big. <laughs> we'll, we'll definitely link to your Instagram so people um, can but like, have a look. Yeah. And everything you've got another project coming up um, around Invasion Day that is very exciting. Do you want to tell us about that? Yes, sure. <laughs> just, an- just another project. Just another one to add to the pile. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, so I've started my own kind of podcast series as well, just to give it a bit of a uh, shout-out. It's just called The Aretha Brown Show, and pretty much it's just a bunch of young people speaking about politics. I kind of came to this conclusion um, just amongst the circles that I hang out with that as young people, the only kind of platform we have to talk about politics is like Facebook, you know. <laughs> you can share articles and you can have an opinion and do polls and stuff. And that's interesting, you know, but to have a space that's tailored for it, I think would be really special, you know. And I was inspired by you guys last time um, where you had that segment about you talking about something that you didn't even know anything about, you know, and being and that being okay. That arrogant, arrogant segment. Ad. Yeah. yeah. Um, and doing something like that, you know. We don't know a lot about politics or the mob that are getting involved, but, you know, we have an opinion and we have a direct experience. And basically all it is for people listening is just to really simplify some of the big issues into kind of palatable information for young people. So I know mob that don't even know what treaty means, you know, or constitutional recognition or the difference between acknowledgement or welcome or what a tribe or a clan is, you know, and just to really break down these big things into going okay so this is what it's about this is who's for this is who's against it this is why and for the most part trying to be objective and letting people take what they want from it you know the first episode i'm recording tomorrow is about invasion day you know um like i said before i've got about two weeks of the year um excluding nadoc week you know where people kind of go okay so you guys want to have something to say well listen now you know you have a two-week slot all your indigenous stuff give it to us you know and then people don't really care the rest of the year and leading up to this invasion day you know i got these two weeks i'm just doing so many gigs in the moment but i'm like man i would just love to have a space where i could just help facilitate discussions you know at the end on your terms on my terms at the end of the day you know i just want people to be talking and have discussions about it you know people get scared talking about aboriginal people you know they're scared they're gonna insult someone or insult me or insult themselves or embarrass themselves and you got to get over that uncomfortableness you know you got to do that i'd rather it be uncomfortable and there'd be that little bit of racial clumsiness but you overcome it learn from it and move on you know rather than just not talking about it at all because it means that i have to do it all (laughs) i need people to meet me halfway with these things Mm. you know so i guess the whole point of the podcast is just to get people talking in ways that's respectful going okay so this is defining this thing really simply and what do you think about it and i guess it's just kind of letting white people know that in a space with another indigenous person probably a time to listen and mm. when you're in a space where it's just you and your white followers then you know you guys can talk about it you know and you can talk about it from what you've learned and just kind of share experiences and this kind of seems to loop back beautifully to what we're talking about with your school experiences as well mm. that you know these education mm. um shouldn't just be happening amongst people who feel confident or who are personally affected that this is yeah. something that it's the onus is on everyone to to seek out resources and to listen and to learn and yeah, then exactly. to educate one another and mm. it's amazing that you're creating this for people so we'll definitely definitely oh yeah to your podcast <laughs> oh, yeah, we're gonna on share our show it page. because everyone should be listening to you yeah. and talking yeah. about you and learning yeah. from you because i honestly just think you're incredible so we'll give a shout out to your podcast Sisteria oh. shout out but before we leave you here, mm. do you have a shout out that you'd like to give us? So the first one, I guess, is my shout out just to my grandma. She's like the reason I do everything that I do. She didn't get like 
any of the opportunities or privileges that I got. Like, she'd never get it, would have been invited on a podcast or nothing, you know? She was part of the Stolen Generation, and when she was my age, the age I am now, because she's light-skinned like me, um, she was taken from the mob in, in Sydney, and she went to Bondi, and she was a housemaid um, for, like, a, a good part of her, her life. And she, you know, because of that, you know, that stems onto me, and I don't get to learn language or culture, you know? Well, not not from her anyway. And I guess she's just, like, the most beautiful and, and smart and hardworking person, you know? I feel like in Australia we have this really rigid kind of definition of what hard work is, you know, because in terms of hard work, my grandma's probably that, you know. It's not, you know, year 12 is hard, but my grandma, man, she did, she really did it. And so shout out to her and everything that she does, you know. And she, she's an artist? She's an artist, but she hasn't got it up anywhere or nothing, but um, I think just her as an entity is a piece of art in itself, you know. And what's your grandma's name? Uh, Arnie Janice Brown. Um, to you. <laughs> um, and then I guess the other shout out is just the book that I'm reading at the moment, which is um, Dark Emu by Bruce Pascoe. And I know he's not a, a lady, but um, just a really sick book, you know. It's just looking at Indigenous history um, post-colonisation. At the moment, you know, history's only ever taught when white people are involved, you know, um, or when I'm somehow, you know, some subplot or something like that. So to kind of start it from behind rather than when you guys came, it's cool. That's so great. Yeah. Aretha Brown, thank you so much for coming <laughs> no. in. Thank you, you Aretha. Honestly, an inspiration. <laughs> Good luck with Good. everything that you're doing, like literally everything, mm. which is everything. everything. <laughs> and we'll be following you oh closely God. forever. <laughs> thank you. Oh, good. Sisteria, created by women and for anyone who wants to listen. Sisteria is supported by City of Melbourne in partnership with the Melbourne Library Service. Sisteria is produced by Stephanie Van Schilt and me, Jessica Luciano. For links to everything we've discussed, check out our website, sisteriapodcast.com. We're also on Facebook and Twitter at SisteriaPod. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. And if you love what we do, we'd love for you to leave us a review on iTunes too. Our amazing theme music is by Rainbow Chan. The song is called Last and is available on her latest album, Spacings. Sisteria is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and to the elders of the lands this podcast reaches. We hope you tune in again soon. Thank you.